The universe is bound in equal parts by arrogance and altruism. Any attempt to alter this would be suicide. Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm, I'm, Ethan, Me- I'm Ethan Maestri. Well, Ryan, excuse me, Ryan, what has you so tickled? I'm laughing at your sophomoric nonsense. <laughs> all right. You got, got it all out of your system? There? I think so. Just like Tear, huh? Yep. All right, then. Well, we don't have any credits to roll here at the end, so I'm going to assume that I'm done. Can we do an 80s freeze frame? Yes. Okay. That's how we'll end this episode. All right. With an 80s freeze frame. I'm Ethan Maestri. I'm Ryan Mazzacco. Each episode, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we analyze it for trivia, things of interest, discussion points, what it teaches us about the universe of Andromeda, that we enjoy watching. This week, The Risk All Point, episode 57. Yep, interesting. You know, um, I meant to to mention this like last week. Maybe I did. I don't think I did. We're on the downhill slide now. There are fewer ahead of us than there are behind. Yep. I know. We have reached the midpoint, and we we are on our way. Officially, it would have been 55. uh, Yeah. Delinda asked. Right. Right. Yeah. And we didn't talk about that. Right. Well, I didn't realize it. And then later I came back and I looked to see how many we, episodes there are. We, we entered the recording studio and it was like, wow, this is <laughs> this feels new again. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but you're right. We are on the downhill. Mm-hmm. We are o- o- over the hill. Yeah, yeah, we are. There you go. I have a little bit of trivia if we want to go over that. Yeah, and I think I, we I do. think you have a summary, right? I do. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Uh, trivia. For the risk all point. The risk all point. Uh, let me ask you a question as we get into this. You oh, said I didn't, I didn't know it was that kind of trivia. It is that kind of. All right, I'm ready. This is a trivia question. Okay. You said last time that uh-huh. we that you did not pay attention to writers for shows. Ooh, oh, I know. Okay, that is true. <laughs> yeah, ding ding ding. Uh-huh. Um, so this week we have different writers than Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller that we talked about on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we have. Another well-known duo, duo for this particular episode. Could you name that second most popular duo? Um. So you were a, telling the truth. Uh, Ace and Gary. Ace and Gary. <laughs> uh, no, not that duo. Oh, okay. Uh, Matt Kine. Oh, okay. Joe Rankmeyer. All right. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the writing duo for this episode, the risk call point here in episode fifty seven. It was directed by Michael Robeson. Now I did mention him in the last episode, and when I mentioned him, I said uh, that this would that we would see him for one 
more episode. This is it. This is his final director credit with Andromeda. Now, he's going to go on to direct many more episodes of various television shows, including The Collector, The Dresden Files, which is also uh, co-created by Robert Hewitt Wolfe. Uh, episodes of The Dead Zone, Kyle XY, and beginning in 2006, he will direct, I think, a total of 11 episodes of a favorite show of mine, Eureka. Adam J. Harrington plays Captain Grissom. Now, he has a long list of credits, including Millennium, Viper, The Outer Limits, Stargate SG-1, Smallville. As uh, He has a recurring role in the Dexter series as Agent Walker. He was also Congressman Murray, in the Parks and Recreation episode, Sex Education. Because mm. I know you're going through that I, show. Well, I'm done with it. Oh, you are? But I okay. do remember that episode. Yeah, there you go. He was the congressman yeah. in that episode. Peter Kent, he plays Genghis, the Nietzschean, mm -hmm. uh, on board there. After suffering a horrendous car accident that nearly ended his life, uh, the resultant adjustment uh, that the injuries did to his face uh, gave him the semblance of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and this is straight from his IMDb page, so it's got to be true. Hmm. So he moved to L.A. in order to pursue an acting career. His acting credit list begins in the mid-1980s with classics like Simon & Simon, Hardcastle and McCormick, The A-Team. He was all over 90s and 2000s television with roles in Baywatch, Lois and Clark, Cold Squad, Smallville, Stargate SG-1, just to name a few. In 1984, James Cameron hired him to double as Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double in the movie Terminator. He would continue to double for Arnold, Arnold, we'll just call him Arnold, as his stunt double for 13 more films, including Predator, Total Recall, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Last Action Hero, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. In 2009, Peter was inducted into the Hollywood Stuntman Hall of Fame. I have a question. What's that? Um, did he also participate in any of Arnold's political stunts? Uh, yeah, Peter Shinkoda plays Burke. This Canadian-born actor begins his credits with a recurring role as Farian in 1995's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Do you remember that series? You know, I remember it happening. <laughs> but you weren't a you weren't a participant. I you? did not participate. Okay. Uh, he also appeared in Dark Angel, The Dead Zone, Stargate SG-1, the rebooted Highway, uh, Highway Hawaii Five-O, and Magnum P.I. series. His credited roles in film include Chin in iRobot and Muto Crow's Nest Tech Number 1 in 2014's Godzilla. And he plays Dr. Yamada in 2018's The Predator. However, many will recognize him from recurring roles as Dai from the Falling Sky series, or Nobu in Netflix's Daredevil, or perhaps as Kazu Hirano in The Man in the High Castle. Then we have Lenore Zahn. She plays Senator Bayless. This actress has a number of appearances in, in film and television throughout the 80s and 90s, but primarily she made her career in voice acting with credits going all the way back to 1979. She also appeared in animated series like Spider-Man and X-Men in the 90s, other various anime and Marvel series in the 2000s as well. And finally, we have Jane Heitmeyer, who plays Aaron Shuhashi. Her credits begin with, again, various roles in television and film throughout the 90s. She would have a recurring role as Lieutenant Brioni Bronca 
in an odd superhero series titled Nightman. Are you familiar with Nightman? I am not. I was not either. But then I went down that particular rabbit hole. That was a weird series. All right. She also would take on the role of Renee Palmer in Earth Final Conflict. And she has continued in various roles and appearances in television and film right up to the present. And that is our trivia for this episode, The Risk Call Point. Wow. So this is quite the trivial episode. Yes, it is. Yeah. We had a lot of guest actors here, and it was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Ryan, do you have the summary for The Risk Call Point? I do. I have it on hard copy right here. Flimsy? Yep. Okay. The Risk All Point. Dylan, Becca, and Tyr are in the Maru on, the, on their way to a commissioning ceremony of the new high guard ship, the Crimson Sunrise. As they make their approach, they detect Nietzschean ships, specifically Kenja, a pride that lives to kill, or kills to live, depending on who you ask. Either way, they are bad news. They slip past them in the Maru to warn the Crimson. You see what I did there? The captain doesn't want to hear about it, when suddenly the new high guard ship explodes, sending debris and escape pods everywhere. They start looking for survivors, and one of the first pods they pull in is carrying Senator Bayliss from the Commonwealth. She's just an awful person, and we're supposed to hate her right off the bat. As they accumulate more pods and survivors, tensions rise as rumors among the crew, fueled by Senator Bayliss, circulate, insinuating sabotage and a Nietzschean betrayal. To make matters worse, the new Commonwealth skimped on the pods and they will fail in a matter of hours, and if they take on any more themselves, they won't be able to go into Slipstream. So now they have to try to save thousands of crew and sniff out a saboteur whom they suspect is probably a Kenja, who is in an escape pod or perhaps already on board. The Maru receives a distress call from one of the pods. They bring the survivors aboard, including the Crimson's first officer, Aaron Shuhashi, a Nietzschean. Becca is suspicious, Tyr is intrigued, and Dylan is crushing hard. But they all end up having suspicious thoughts when they find out she is Kenja. That doesn't stop Dylan from playing tonsil hockey with her in Becca's cockpit. After all, she did just send out a transmission to send the approaching Kenja ships in the wrong direction. This gained a little trust from the others as well. Just then, a fight breaks out among the Crimson crew, which Dylan, Tyr, Becca, and Aaron are forced to break up. In the aftermath, Genghis, a particularly dim-witted Nietzschean, decides he'd rather take his chances in an escape pod and heads for the cargo bay where apparently his plan is to board a pod, depressurize the Maru, causing a massive explosion and kill everyone. Dylan and Tyr try to stop him. They manage to minimize the damage, but are forced into a pod themselves and are thrown from the Maru, unable to make their way back. Unfortunately, all the ruckus has got the attention of the Kenja who are now making their way back. Becca and Aaron navigate their way through a power struggle and arrive at a plan to draw the Kenja in and then blow all the now-empty escape pods at them, destroying two and sending the others running with their anti-proton torpedoes between their thrusters. Dylan MacGyvers the escape pod with some anti-protons, oxygen, nitrogen, and a roll of duct tape to create a sort of giant fusion candle to push themselves in the general direction of the Maru. Becca spots them. They are nearly out of gas, and all hope is lost when suddenly the Andromeda calls in responding to Dylan's distress signal. Apparently Harper got the toilets fixed just in time. 
Also, the senator was an imposter, and the explosion was caused by a freak comet. Dylan says goodbye to Aaron, and Becca and Tyr make fun of him. The end. Nice, concise wrap-up there to the end of the episode. Well, you know, in the spirit of the episode. There you go. Yep. Uh, So, Ryan, let me kick this off. Live to kill. Mm -hmm. Kill to live. Not sure that that's a distinction that the victim is going to be able to make. No, you're right. Yeah, I just thought that that struck me as he said that. There's a there's a distinction. Mm-hmm. Not if you're the victim, right? Or the victim's family, right? <laughs> Not much distinction there. I don't yeah. think. And yeah. and Dylan would agree with you. Would he? Yeah, he makes that point. That is that is true. Yeah, he did. But yeah, I, I just thought that was a little odd that Tear has to make that point. I mean that it was that was a. Uh, a little bit, uh, not mansplaining it, but just just making sure that we all knew. Right. They're somehow legitimizing what, what they're doing. <laughs> sure. Right. And that yeah. just didn't it didn't sit well with me. Uh, which, like you said, it, it didn't exactly sit well with Dylan either. Right. Or anyone that's on the other end of one of their big guns. True. Yeah. So we have a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if I want to say in, in continuity, but definitely a discrepancy. At the beginning of the episode, they're calling the Maru a bag of bolts. By the end of it, they're calling it a bucket of bolts. <laughs> Which is it? Would you rather be in a bag or a bucket? I think in space, I'd rather have the bucket. I think so, too. Yeah. A little, you know, clink, clink, clink. A little, yeah. Something a little hard to beat up against. Sure. But then again, a bag can expand. Hmm. It holds pressure. Yeah, I guess so. Tomato, tomato. It's tomato. <laughs> so, let me ask you this. Ask me. Uh, again, I'm not a fashion guy, but I pay attention. Okay. Okay. Did the high guard really expect those men to fight in the garden hose suits that they're wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The the the, 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 the straps that were holding the, the shields on? Is that what they were? I don't know what those were supposed the, to be. They're, they're like these robes. You know, these big flowy robes, and then they've got these hula hoops, like, dangling off of their shoulders and then down to the floor. And uh-huh. Just thought that was an odd choice for, you know, the the warriors, the soldiers, to actually be wearing something that, it seems like it would be cumbersome. Yeah. And might actually get in the way. And in fact, during the choreographed fight scenes, mm-hmm. it did appear that those uniforms were actually kind of getting in the way, just a little bit of, of movement. Right. You could, you could get them caught on something, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. But then again, should I be surprised considering like what we'd already established with the uh the shoddy workmanship of the well, the ship itself <laughs> and the the uh the, the escape pods. So mm-hmm. why not give them junk uniforms to wear? Yeah, that's true. Poorly designed uniforms, I'll put sure. it that way. I mean, it it is their last line of defense now, you know. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, if everything else has failed, then why give them a shot now? I don't like it. But that's a good point. Well, I mean, you're just getting their hopes up <laughs> at this point, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So that makes yeah. it makes perfect sense. All right. You know what? Apparently, I'm still stuck on this scene because at that same time at the beginning when they're talking about uh, the Maru being a, at this time it's a bag of bolts, right? Um, Becca comes over the comm. She says, "I heard that." Dylan says, "Wow, she has good ears." Yeah. I'm like, no. Clearly, she's listening in through the comms, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so, so Aaron Shohashi comes aboard. 
Becca takes one look at her and says, she's Nietzschean. Really? What gave that away? (laughs) I would like to insert the Nicolas Cage meme here (laughs) of really. (laughs) Uh, Seemed seemed like the statement of the obvious. Right. Yeah, yeah, I did have a note for that, too. I thought maybe it might be something we might talk about later, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now. Yeah, do it. why, Why did she feel the need to bring up that she was Nietzschean right at that moment with the emphasis on that? Like, Total shock and surprise. Look, everyone, a Nietzschean. Yeah. I mean, sure, I know that there's like a hundred others out here with us all around. Well, apparently, too, I don't understand why she was so uh, surprised. Because apparently on all high guard ships, you always had a Nietzschean first officer anyway. So if if they knew she was the first officer when she came aboard, she should have been expecting her to be Nietzschean. So, yeah, I don't understand why she would have been so surprised. Hey, do you remember when they uh, they changed the formula um, in many of these uh, productions where they can actually save money from episodes to use the money later in other episodes? Yes. Okay, we've talked a lot the last few episodes about them being, you know, very ship in a bottle. Yeah. There's almost ex- no crew, right? Yeah, like what the last episode we didn't even get on the Maru. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I know why they have been saving so much money. Because they, Guest actors. they blew all of their extras money on this <laughs> extras, episode. Yeah, yeah you no, you are absolutely right. I mean, if we have been missing extras in the last several episodes, we more than made up for it in this yeah. one. We have not seen this many people on camera uh-huh. in an Andromeda episode, episode since the signing of the uh, New Systems Commonwealth yeah. Agreement. Right. Honestly, I mean, yeah, it's been that long, I think, since we've seen that many people in the same room. Right. Yeah. And it was kind of a ship in a bottle episode. Very much so. But it was a different ship. It was like Russian nesting dolls because we had the Maru and then we had the the escape pod. So it was like ship within a ship. Oh, but then by the end, the Maru is in, in the, Andromeda. the Andromeda. I know. A ship within a ship yeah. within a ship. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. So Aaron says... I memorized all the codes to the escape pods. Really? Yeah. I have a hard time with just the half dozen passwords that I have to remember on a somewhat daily basis. Oh, man. You have a half dozen? Uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. 400 escape pods. She memorized all the... You're telling me she memorized all the codes for 400 escape pods. Uh, I mean, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what she's telling <laughs> that's you. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that is what she that said. is that is what yeah. she said. Yeah, wow, I know it's impressive. So, so is that? And maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Maybe this is something we should have saved for our discussion about what we learn about Nietzscheans. But is is that in fact something we're learning about Nietzscheans? I I do, don't know. I, I does kind of, Tyr remember every password he's created since you know a few days after his birth? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think this is unique to her. Okay. Uh, because Dylan seems very surprised about all of this and the yeah. way that she's able to do the multiplication of 17 digit numbers in her head. Don't get ahead of me. All right. Okay. All right. Me get ahead. This, I had this in <laughs> written down for later discussion, too. Okay. But. Well, we can, we'll put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. All right. Hold on. Let me. You're, you're drawing your pin right now, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Now, we now do you that do you draw it. like a tack pen or do you draw like a, a writing utensil? Yeah, it's a it's a thumbtack. It is a thumbtack. Yeah, excellent. He just showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, so 
the big fight scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Right. Let's go ahead and skip to the end of that. Okay. Fists and garden hoses were flying everywhere. Not interested. This is a part I want to talk about. Okay. Okay. So near the end, um, what's his name? The guy that was getting into it with Genghis earlier in the episode. Burke. Okay. Burke. Yeah. Uh, he pulls a weapon. Tyr pulls his weapon. Mm-hmm. So he shoots Burke. Yes, he does. All right. I don't know if it's a fatal wounding or not. Yeah, we don't get that answer. We don't. Um, but is it, it's immediately after that. When Genghis takes off, and that's when he's making his run to the cargo bay to be, as a result of his actions, he's running off to to, to try to destroy the Mario. Yes. So Tyr and Dylan go chasing after him. Yes. After he puts his boot in Aaron's face. Right. Right? Yeah. So they go chase him. My question is, guns have already been drawn, shots have already been fired, Right. Uh, it's been broken. Why don't they just shoot the guy? I don't have an answer. Okay. <laughs> I tried. Uh-huh. I gave it a thought. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Um, ultimately, Genghis gets his in the end. Yeah. He gets blown into space, essentially. Yeah. Uh, without actually successfully getting into an escape pod. Well, he was in the one that blew up. Oh, that's right. That's right. It does come out and then it explodes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, um, I have a I have a discussion point on that, but okay. yeah, we can come to it later. <laughs> Are you confused on the physics of what's going on there? No. Okay. No, I was, uh, I was just, it made me contemplate. Pin. Put a pin in okay, it. Okay, we'll put yeah. a pin in it. Yeah. Let me draw my pin. Okay. All right. It's a writing utensil. Oh. It's a feather pin. That's weird. Fountain pin. Okay. Yeah. So, um... You mentioned that you were going to talk about the math skills, her uh, Aaron's math skills. Yeah. And I just had a comment about the fact that I can't tell you how many times I've gotten the girl by complimenting her on her math skills. I literally cannot tell you how many times. Yeah. <laughs> because it's never happened. Oh, okay. Huh. Has that worked for you? It's never worked for me. Oh, okay. And believe me, I've tried. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. Well, you know. Well, good for Dylan. I tried math club. You did? Yeah. For nefarious reasons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. was trying to meet girls. You're going to have to tell me about that sometime. Off off mic. Okay. There's not a lot to tell. Okay. I was bad at math. Appar- they saw right through it. Right. Apparently, yeah. it didn't work out for you. Mm-hmm. I don't mean anything negative by the person that you ended up marrying. I'm not saying anything like that. Right. It, this was this was a long time ago. Sure. Yeah. Okay. This was high school. Yeah. Math league. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. All right. So I, I alluded to it before. Uh, the escape pod sequence mm-hmm. where uh, Genghis gets blowed up. But in that sequence, Dylan, check me here. Okay. Opens the pod. Tear jumps in. Then Dylan yells tear. And then jumps in himself and shuts the door. Why did he yell Tyr's name before jumping in? Maybe, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retcon this a little bit. I'm going to assume things that we don't see. Okay. Tyr, who's, who's, who is Tyr always looking out for? Himself. Right. Number one, Tyr gets in the pod. I'm going to imagine Tyr gets in the pod and starts to hit the door to close, to hit, to hit the button to close the door. And so that's when Dylan sees he's going for the button, and he says, Tear! Tear, yeah. 
And then he jumps I'm, in. I'm here. Yeah. Let, wait for me to get in. Right. Okay. That kind of makes sense. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking it's just an editing flaw. But, oh. But your your explanation works. Yeah. I'm it great at this. Work. Hit me with another okay. one. <laughs> um, the pods appear to have been designed by the descendants of those that built the Ford Pinto. Don't you think? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. And then just one final observation. You could play some killer battleship on that uh, escape pod display. Ooh, yeah, I bet so. Yeah. I kind of want a display like that so I can play some killer electronic battleship. Yeah, with like the noises and everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Graphics and everything. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it could be totally cool. Yeah. You could pass some time in that escape pod. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I think that's what they're built for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Comfort first, safety third. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, Ryan, we've had our fun, and now it's time to get serious. All right. What has this episode taught us about the the Andromeda universe, the Commonwealth, Nietzscheans, whatever, whatever. Just just pick something, and let's go with it. What have we learned in this episode? Sure. I've got a few Commonwealth things. Okay. Um, So, first of all, I'd like to bring attention to the... uh, just the the new old high guard tech um 300 year old designs sure still in play yeah i mean well you got to start somewhere yeah you would think that in the 300 years though that they would have made some significant technological advances but then at the same time it's also pretty apparent that they haven't because the andromeda seems to be the most powerful ship <laughs> in the three galaxies yeah so why not just go ahead and copy that one then? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, honestly, I don't have as big a problem with that as maybe you... you know, I mean, you've brought it up. Not that it's a problem, or is it for you? I'm, I mean, I bring it up as a potential problem, but I also think that I explained it away just as easily. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, there's kind of a precedent in sci-fi. We think about, um, well, the, a game that you and I enjoy playing. Right, Elite Dangerous. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that that has got a huge lore behind it because it's a game that's been made and recreated and remade since 1984. Now, in that lore of that game, there are privately built and owned spaceships that those designs have essentially been unchanged for hundreds of years. Right? They they've they've made the same type of ship for 300 plus years. And that's lore in that game. And, and to me, okay, that's acceptable. Uh, there's also precedent in something like actual private aviation nowadays. The Cessna uh, plane, the over overwing Cessna private plane that we're used to seeing at you know small runways, uh, that that airplane has essentially been unchanged and in production since the 1950s. Or, or 1960s. So 50 plus years of making the exact same design airplane. Just update the electronics and the onboard instruments. But essentially it's the same plane as it was when it rolled off the uh, the the assembly line the first time in the 1950s. So there's kind of precedence for that sort of thing. So I could see the high guard saying, you know what, this is a, a very good, very solid design. It holds up well. Obviously Dylan is still around 300 years later. Yeah, let's just uh, let's just copy it. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, it's not just the ships; it's also the weapons. Okay. Uh, when Genghis and uh, the other guy remind me his name again, 
Burke. Burke. When when Genghis and Burke get in their little their little fight, um, Dylan comes over there and he breaks them up and he says, "Now I'm going to take your weapons." What do they hand over? Force lances. Force lances. Yeah. We haven't seen anybody else with force lances in this entire episode. That's true. Except for Dylan and occasionally some of his crew will have one. Yeah. Um, but so now here's a high guard thing that seems to have been lost to the universe when the Commonwealth fell. We haven't seen it anywhere else. So do they now they're going back to it, apparently. So did they have to get a few of these force lances from the Andromeda and reverse engineer them? No. They finally they finally went and picked up those kids on that drift from the second episode right. of season one. Okay. What was that what was the name of that episode even? Uh, and the children, children shall, shall lead. lead. No way. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> Too loose the fateful lightning. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they went there and took whatever material was on that drift. Mm-hmm. And of course they can retro you know, retro design off of that. Right. Or the stores of records. Right. Where uh, Harper got the, the ship's avatar record mm-hmm. and was able to create Rami. Yeah. So the, all of that was right there for the taking. So I, in my, my head canon, that's, that's what they did. Okay. And those kids finally got a decent home or they were all murdered. Yeah. You know, whichever one you like best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, just to add to your point, about using old tech, mm-hmm. I really feel like the Andromeda Ascendant should put into a space dock or a drift or whatever they call them and get retrofitted because if a comet can take out <laughs> one of these ships with a lucky shot, yeah, um, this is as bad as the Death Star flaw, right? <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, one lucky shot from a an errant random comet yeah. and, it, and it blows up the entire ship. Yeah. I'm going to need you to put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll put a pin in that. And then yeah. uh, do we want to talk about escape pods now or do you want to save that for later as well? Yeah. No, we can talk about escape pods now. Okay. Sure. Okay. What shoddy workmanship. But then as the, the senator kind of alludes to, this is the state of the Commonwealth. It's, 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 it goes to the lowest bidder, which sounds kind of familiar when it comes to you know, large projects, right. large government-funded projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what, were, what were your thoughts on the escape pods? Well, I'll tell you what my thoughts were, and maybe I should have put this in the earlier observations segment, but uh, they talked about, um, I can't remember what it was, some sort of a, some sort of a cage, something that they put around, that they, they didn't put around them, that they used to in the old Commonwealth. Oh, the the what they used to wrap them in. Yeah, um, a mesh of some. Yeah, sort. Yeah, that's he right. Says. He yeah. said mesh. It was something, some some kind of a mesh, and they yeah, even used to put it around um, the tanks, um, all this stuff. Yeah, so they put this whatever this mesh is. They put it around the escape pods. They put it around the fuel tanks. Put it around anything that they don't want to destabilize and explode. Right. My thought is, why don't they put that around the whole ship? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that seems like a good idea. I mean. I, I've always said that. It's like if if the little black box is the only thing that survives a plane <laughs> crash, make the whole plane out of the little black box. Right, right. Speaking of seven thirty sevens, yeah, old design. Yeah, it's been around for years, for right. decades. Yeah, no problems out of it whatsoever. No. 
that brings me to my next question. Uh-huh. Now that we've talked about the glorious heritage class and its obvious design flaw. Yeah. The escape pods and its obvious design flaw. Yeah. What does this tell us about this new systems commonwealth? They don't build them like they used to. You're absolutely right there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this really speaks to the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Urgency that this uh, was put together? Yeah. And well, the slipshod way that it's run? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there's also, uh, Becca kind of alluded to, I think there may be a sense of overconfidence in themselves because um, I think she mentioned something about why worry about putting all this work into these escape pods when they never planned on ever having to use them because True. this is such a glorious, powerful starship. Right, and we got that sense from Captain Grissom mm-hmm. when the Eureka Maru first shows up and says, hey, you have an issue, you have a problem. No, we don't. Right. We're impregnable here. Right. Well. Um, <clears throat> which is a beautiful segue into my next point. I want to talk about Captain Grissom for yeah. just a minute. I mean, is Not this... Not Starfleet material. <laughs> Is this the best guy they had for the job? I mean, really? Is this is this the best that they <laughs> can do? This is what their academy's cranking out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 awful. Right. I mean, just the total I said overconfidence earlier, but this this just this is arrogance. Yeah. Very much so. This is Dylan Hunt coming to you saying, "Hey, we've got a problem." Nope. We're good. Okay, yeah. look, here's the evidence that I've got. That's impossible. Nope, can't happen. Never going to happen. Oh, things are happening. No, they can't be happening because that's impossible. I just got done saying that you guys are embarrassing me right now because I just got done telling Captain Hunt over here, right? Who's flying in on a bag of bolts. Right. Maybe by that time it's a bucket, but I think it's still a bag. (laughs) Right. Hasn't quite earned bucket status yet. Yeah. But, Yeah. uh, yeah, just... Just the total arrogance and dismissiveness of anything that anyone else has to say. I I realize what they're trying to do is they're trying to create something here so that the ship has to blow up. Yeah. But I still don't like that they wrote the captain to be that way. He still could have said they could have they could have come in. I don't mean to rewrite the episode, but here we go. (laughs) Right. Dylan flies in. Hey, you guys, there's Nietzscheans on their way. There's this thing that could be going on. There might be somebody on your ship. You know, it's not on the up and up. Oh, man, Captain Hunt, I, I, I really don't think so. But let me see, you know, what well, we can run a diagnostic. We can check out some stuff, see if anything, you know, just say. Be a captain. Right. Just, <laughs> just exactly. <laughs> No, that, I guess yeah, that sums I, it up pretty good. Yeah, be, be a captain. <laughs> yeah. Be diplomatic. You know, honestly, and, and you're absolutely right. If that's the people that they're putting in charge of their ships, there's no hope for this yeah. new system's commonwealth. Right. I mean, when the Magog ship comes, they are going to fold like a cheap tent. Yeah. If it's still around even at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, is that if they're, if they're doing this for plot because the ship needs to explode... I I just think that they did it wrong. Yeah. Unless they are wanting us to hate the Commonwealth. I feel like that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Is this this body that has come together within a season that somehow presents itself as being established and, and orderly and ready to defend the galaxies is abhorrent. Yeah. It's it's ro- it's already rotting from the inside. 
and and is not something that I would ever put my faith in to stand beside me or fight beside me when the Magog world ship comes floating into whichever galaxy it hits. Mm-hmm. You know, I either you are led to believe that this into this government, this uh, coalition of planets, however many there are now, is completely worthless. The, it's not even worth the flimsy that it's been imprinted on. Right. And, I mean, they're writing them for us to hate them. I joked about it in my summary that Senator Bayless, from the very first time we see her, we know that their writers are telling us, this is a person that you need to hate. Yes. And so let's just go ahead and make that clear now. Which, she's not a real senator. Okay. So at the but end she's... of the episode, you can kind of pass that off. Yeah, but she is... But everybody for, for us, we are. She at the time fits the mold. Yeah, and she she is representing yeah the the the, the hierarchy, the higher ups of the Commonwealth of the High Guard. I, I guess the Commonwealth at this point. Yeah. So I, I think she's just drawing on the example that she has seen right her in her superiors. We we recognize her as abhorrent, yeah. and therefore it fits the mold right. of what we've already gotten from the new systems commonwealth right i like to think that maybe she was actually a really nice sweet old lady but now she's taking on this this persona right and so she has to i gotta sell this which means i have to be awful (laughs) awful (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. yeah I, i this episode does a lot to really solidify everything that we've talked about in season three so far about this new systems commonwealth now we've just gotten yet another uh, reinforcing link in the chain, mm-hmm. and it just—it just feels like this is a terrible, terrible entity that Dylan and crew are serving under. So, um, a few character things, I guess. Let's—I'd like to start with uh, with our guest character. Okay. Okay. So, Aaron, there's a lot of things that I found odd about her. Okay. Okay. Like what? Well, we already touched a little bit on it before when you started talking about her her memorizing all of the codes and being able to do the math, just kind of her Rain Man skills. Um, so she's got that going for her. That doesn't really seem to be a Nietzschean thing because uh, Tyr, I mean, he's smart. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to be able to memorize retain codes. that kind of information yeah. and make those split-second calculations. Yeah. Um, so this kind of seems to be a, an Aaron thing. She's she's a Nietzschean woman serving on a starship, a Commonwealth starship at that. And from what we know about Nietzschean women, this is kind of their tradition that they don't really leave the pride. That is true. Right. Because that's what we learned in, uh, oh, what was that episode? The name of the episode when... Um, Unisalus Victus. Yes. Boom. Look at you. Yeah, I know. So that was the whole discussion that Becca was having with that Nietzschean woman that, right. she, was, that she was fighting against The only reason there. she was a pilot was because she was basically useless to her pride. Right. Yeah. And and she had that, that status because she was barren. Exactly. And so according to the Nietzschean way... If a Nietzschean woman was barren, she had to go out and be a warrior to still prove her family's genetic line. Yeah. Even though she didn't have any way to continue it on, she still had to make it look good for her brothers and her sisters and everything. Yeah. Right? So, 
we don't get an answer about if if Aaron happens to be um, unable to have children. I don't know. Um, but it just seems like she, in a lot of ways, she has really left the Nietzschean way of life. For one thing, she has left these the the Kinja pride mm-hmm. as far as in their way of they they kill to live or live to kill. Yeah, that's not her bag, right? Um, or bucket, right? Instead, she's joined the Commonwealth, which okay, we've already agreed the Commonwealth is not probably the greatest place in the universe, but it's better than the Nietzschean Kinja pride, apparently. Okay, as far as the ideologies and things, so um, so we've got that again. Uh, and then also just that she really seems to be attracted to Dylan. Yeah. This is right, this like is, right off the bat. Yeah. This is kind of a red flag for me too. <laughs> um, because we know how Nietzscheans feel about a being with humans. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Tyr has made it absolutely abundantly clear, right? It It's Nietzschean or nothing for him. Right. And you get the sense that that's how Nietzscheans feel because their, their whole, their whole goal in life is to continue their line. Yeah. And for them to have offspring with a kludge, that's like, that's like, that's the worst thing. Yeah. But it, this feels like a good place to bring this up. Okay. Are, are we really starting to get the feeling that Dylan is somehow different? That Nietzscheans can look at him and see him differently than the standard kludge? Yeah. I mean, I think just about any time he has dealings with a Nietzschean. And he bests them in whatever way he does. It seems like they always come away from that encounter with a deeper respect for Dylan yeah. Hunt. Well, and and despite the New System's Commonwealth opinion of Dylan Hunt, he has established kind of a reputation for himself. Yeah. So maybe it is a little bit easier for her to look at this particular human and be like, well, he's worthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, um, but then it goes a step further when she even seems to have a respect and admiration for Becca. That is true. Maybe, not to say that it's a failing, but maybe that's her failing <laughs> as a Nietzschean, <laughs> is she's too willing to see the good in other inclusions right. and associate with them, mm-hmm. which obviously she has done. Right. Yeah, okay. That kind of makes sense. Well, it just seems to go completely against the grain for... For the way that we know that Nietzscheans think, um, and and just everything about their whole goal in life, if if you, if you walk into a room as this Nietzschean woman and you see Tier Anasazi or Dylan Hunt, you're going to assume that she's going to go after Tier because he's the one with the solid Nietzschean bloodline. Yeah. Yeah, but why is she immediately attracted to Dylan? I don't want to say immediately, but they didn't waste much time. They didn't. They, you're right. They didn't waste much time, and she wasn't giving Tear the time of day. Essentially, right. um, you know, I, maybe that's why I like this character of Aaron, uh, because she's not like the other Nietzschean women that we've seen depicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not like Tear's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just arrogant and a bit vapid. But then again, she's, you know, she she's all focused on having a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, what's the, the woman that Dylan gets involved with that ends up marrying, uh, what's his name? Uh, El- Elsbeth. Yeah. That Dylan gets involved with. 
those are Nietzschean women and they're arrogant and they're fixed in their Nietzschean ways. Right. Right. And I guess that's why I like Aaron so much is because she, as you pointed out, she has essentially turned her back on Nietzschean ways of doing things. And while she is smart and capable and brilliant, she's not, she is arrogant in some ways, but doesn't come across as with that, that, annoying arrogance Mm -hmm. that other (laughs) that other Nietzschean women have been portrayed as having right right and and I guess that's why I like Aaron's character so much okay uh one question that I do have and I don't want to pick this apart too much but when the Kinja ships are making their approach um and she calls out to them when they're faking the mayday call right Mm -hmm. um and she identifies and she identifies herself um from her her lineage and her bloodline and their response is basically oh hey cuz yeah how can we help yeah yeah you know there's they don't seem to recognize her by name as what i would think she would be famous in that pride as a traitor so when she says yeah this is aaron Roshiba, whatever her name is, Shibishi, you know, they'd be... They'd, Chihashi. Chihashi. Yeah, they'd be all over that, you know? Right. Don't you think so? I, maybe. Maybe that... I mean, that's the thing that we don't get in this episode is, is the backstory as to mm-hmm. why she's there and what conditions she left under. Right, which is why we have to speculate now. <laughs> yeah, except that it apparently wasn't as bad as maybe what we would make it up to be. Okay. All it was right. apparently an amicable break. Sure. Maybe it was one of those things, you know, like the Amish, they go on their, what, the, the furlough or whatever it is, <laughs> and they kind of do their thing. Right. Maybe maybe the, maybe the they, they have this sort of thing with the Nietzsche. They granted her leave of yeah. some sort. They yeah. say, hey, you know what? Go out there. Go out there. Do your thing. You're going to find that you're not going to find anything, and you'll come back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, but that's all we've got. Yeah. Because yeah, I can't really imagine or... or or suss out a, a different scenario other than mm-hmm. something like that. So basically what I've got left for our discussion is wrap up on Tyr and Dylan. Okay. Uh, Tyr in this episode seems like he's into orderly behavior and protocol, which feels like a little bit of a a difference in the Tyr Anasazi we've seen in the last two and a half seasons. I mean, he's a guy that uh, seems like he's been ready to be insubordinate most of the time mm-hmm. and doesn't enjoy pomp and circumstance. And yet when it comes to orderliness and protocol, he's all about it, right? He he enjoys, I mean, he's, he's calling people to come to attention on deck, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't, uh, is he doing that because it benefits him in that moment? Or is this a change in tier that we've seen? No, I think that's tear being tear for tear. Which makes perfect sense now that you've yeah. said that out loud. Yeah, you're right. It was it was a moment for tear to flex. Um and also it it's self preservation, really, because if they don't do something right now to get this situation under control, I mean look what one guy almost did single handedly. By nearly depressurizing the Maru. Yeah. And so when you have 
what it sounds like is thousands of people. Yeah. On the Maru. Which do we need to talk about that? <laughs> oh, uh, whatever. Clown car. All yeah, right, fine. <laughs> I know. Well, it just seemed like, you know, the Maru seems like one of those kind of ships where they probably have like cones around the rust spots so you don't step through <laughs> stuff like that. There's you a know? lot of cones on that boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because, I mean, if you put your foot through that hole, that's, there's nothing between you and the vacuum of space. You're right. And it's so, already done in Vexpec, so... Yeah, that's right. Yep. Pour one out for Vexpec. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying about Tear, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. having asked the question and said it out loud and then uh-huh. hearing you repeat that, no, I, I have no argument for that. Okay. So let's, let's move on and pivot over to Dylan for a second. All right. Because here's something that I've noticed in the last several episodes. I want to bring it up now. And if you don't want to pursue a, a deeper conversation, that's fine. I don't I think already thought is... about it. Okay. I do. Okay. Uh, Dylan has become in the middle of this third season, throughout the beginning of it and into the middle of this third season, has become so vanilla. How is it that he has become so routine and uninteresting? I mean, they. It feels like they're writing episodes to try and and build his character more, but the more they put him at the forefront, the more uninteresting this character has become. And so I'm left at the end of this episode seeing everything that the New Systems Commonwealth is doing badly. Mm -hmm. What is this guy's motivation? Why isn't he outraged and standing up for what is right to save the universe? Why is he just taking orders and flying his ship around and getting into little do-good missions and occupying his time with things like this that we have seen in this episode and in the previous few episodes that we've discussed. It feels like, what <laughs> has he just completely lost sight of the Magog world ship and why he has gone on this crusade to assemble this commonwealth? Well, I don't think that Dylan has. I think maybe the writing team has. And I think that Dylan Hunt might just be tired. <laughs> okay. It it could be it could possibly be the actor that's just playing him this way right now. Maybe he's tired. Uh honestly, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I mean, he is he Honestly, we're in talking about Kevin Sorbo himself. Mm-hmm. At this point in the series, he is now an executive producer. Uh, he is making decisions about what Dylan Dylan's character should be. Um, he's not devoting his time to developing the character. He's just making a television show. And, and a little bit of background information during this time as... As I have learned, you know, he had been dealing with uh, situations with his health and things like that. So, yeah, maybe maybe you're absolutely spot on with that. He's tired and he's got a lot of irons in the fire. And so they're trying to make the character more interesting, but it's just not reaching me as an audience member. I'm far more interested in what's going on with Tear and with Trance and mm-hmm. even Harper and Becca. And, you know, I would I would... I would like to see more about what's going on with them. 
and we're just not getting it. And what we are getting is another Dylan story. Right. So here's what I'm hearing you say is you, you're saying that they're trying, the writers or somebody is trying to make Dylan Hunt's character um, more interesting but it doesn't just doesn't seem to be coming across. Yeah. What is it that you're seeing in the writing that they're trying to develop? As far as Dylan's character is yeah. concerned, I don't know yet. Well, because they're they're just they're just putting him out in the forefront. Hey, here's Dylan, here's Dylan, here's Dylan, here's what he's doing. Yeah. I'm not interested in what Dylan's doing because Dylan's not doing anything. Okay. He's just taking assignments so as they then, come along. So then you're saying that they're not developing the character further. It's what it, yeah, ultimately is what it comes down to. In the last several episodes that I have seen. Okay. Up to this point. Right. Yeah, I'm, okay. not, I'm just not interested well, in Dylan as a character. Well, I just wanted you to clarify that because it sounded like you were telling two different stories. It's like you're saying that the way they're writing Dylan, it's as if they're trying to develop that character further but you're not seeing it um but you're not seeing it play out so what i was i, I was just, there was a disconnect there in my mind for okay. okay what are we saying what is it that you're seeing that they are trying to develop i'm not seeing but, anything that they're trying to develop they're developing but i'm not interested okay all right is is essentially what it comes down to okay well i just yeah. i feel like that at this point in the story i just that's what i want to say about this character Okay. All right. Well, then I would have to agree with you then. Okay. Because I, yeah, I'm not seeing anything that's really interesting coming from Dylan. And I'm not sure at this point really what you can do with Dylan that is that interesting. Um, Until he breaks out of this mold well, that he's in right now of it, just taking orders. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what I was getting to. Okay. Is because we we've established from episode one that dylan is he is duty first the boy scout right everything is it's always got to be with with that with that through that lens that dylan always looks at everything yeah all right he has created the world that he was trying to that he set out to he reestablished the commonwealth the high guard is back they're building high guard ships again they're manufacturing force lances again. Yeah. Everything that he had envisioned has finally come to be, but it's not the same. Right. And so, I mean, that's got to wear on him. But he, he has not gotten to a point yet right? where he is ready to break out of that mold. Right. And I just think that if if you're looking at this and you see everything that he's worked so hard for and that it's all come about, but the way that it's going. And now he's at this point where I, I think we, we can agree he's tired. Okay. Right. Yeah. Maybe he's starting to get a little bit indifferent, maybe a little disillusioned by the whole thing. Okay. Um, but this thing that he's, he's fought so hard to create this thing that he's worked so hard for, and it just keeps doing this to him. He can only act that indifferent for so long. Okay. You know? So then it's going to come to a point where it's just, there's a breaking point. Okay. You say he breaks out of the mold. I say it's a breaking point. Yeah. Okay. You know what I, mean? I, I I can see that. So so he's going to coast for a while where we're at. He's, 
this is all he can do at the moment. But you're saying at some point he's going to have to take a stand? Is that what we're coming down to? Well, I mean, just doesn't doesn't that make sense, though? Yeah, because you're right. He's, because no, he's been make, fighting and working so hard. Now everything is where he thought he wanted it to be, but it's really not. And so now we're getting this very humdrum, vanilla version of the Dylan that we've always known. Oh, so you're saying he's me in my current life right now. I mean, though, I don't know what you're saying, but, you know, yeah, 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 that's what's going on. I had goals in life. <laughs> I've attained some of them. They're not quite what I expected, and now I'm just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. That's where Dylan's at? Okay, I can identify. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully that jaded. I'm, right. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just, I'm playing along here. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that look on your face. Uh-huh. We're going to have a conversation afterward, aren't we? It's all right. I'm there, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, uh, Ryan, that's that's what we've got for our characters and the, uh, what we've learned about the Andromeda universe. Let's pivot this over to a quote. Do you have one for us? I do indeed, sir. The universe is bound in equal parts by arrogance and altruism. Any attempt to alter this would be suicide. And that was a quote from the very famous Dr. Walter Giles. The value of value. Commonwealth year eleven five forty three. You know what I did for this quote? What'd you do? I actually looked up Walter Giles. Okay. Just to see if there was something similar to this quote yeah. in modern culture. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about that from uh, Walter Giles. Okay. At least on, not on the Google search that I did. Right. At least not yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, granted, this is way, way, way in the future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know what? This is, I don't know. It, it's kind of a cool quote for the episode that we got. The best thing that I could come up with on this was, you know, it's it's just the balance between good and evil. That there are so many different uh, schools of thought that kind of believe this way, that you've got to have the good to have the bad and if you can't if you don't have both then you can't have either right I mean it's even a thread in Star Wars you gotta have the the balance of the force right yeah Yeah. Um, whether that's true or whether that's not true I mean I mean that's a whole nother philosophical theological whatever discussion for another time Um, well you know let's take that for just a second you say there's a balance right this feels like a universe at this moment, at this present moment, yeah. with our crew, that does not feel balanced. I mean, it feels like there's a lot more arrogance. We saw that from, you know, Captain Grissom to the design of the escape pods to the design of the Heritage-class starship that they're now rebuilding. Yeah. You know, it's entirely possible that Andromeda doesn't have that design flaw. It's just because of the shoddy workmanship that they did in putting this new design together for an old design. That sounds a little backwards when I say that out uh-huh. loud, but you get what I'm saying. Sure. There's a lot of arrogance in the universe right now. It's yeah. not balanced. And so it does feel like suicide for this new system's commonwealth. Okay. Is really where I'm coming down on this this saying. It's true because no good's going to come out of this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So and I guess that's the question. And then where is the altruism? And really it's... It's it, just Dylan. It's with Dylan and the the few 
crew members that we know the names of yeah. that are on Andromeda. Right. And he seems kind of meh right now. Yeah, he does. So, yeah, very unbalanced. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless this whole universe is just going to, you know, just implode and suicide itself, right? Um, that means that the, the altruism has got to it's got to take it up a notch, right? Is so it kind of goes back to what we were saying before. We have all of this this pushback from the Commonwealth and all of this this negative and this bad, and Dylan's just like oh, whatever. I'm just gonna do right yeah. until he gets to a breaking point, and yeah. then he's just like, you know what? This isn't what I fought for. <laughs> okay? Right? Yeah. I don't know. I was I was actually a little more interested in actually the the literary work that this came from. Okay. Um the value of value. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that sounded cool. It does. It is yeah. a very cool uh, concept. Right. For for a is it an economics book? Yeah, I mean it could be value. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's economic value or if it's um, you know, like core values, a system of values. You know, whatever the value is, is it sentimental value? What is the value of value? Well, I guess it's whatever is agreed upon or determined by the individual. It's not what this discussion is about, <laughs> but I thought that was more interesting than the quote, so I wanted to talk about okay. that. Okay, no, you, it's more interesting than Dylan right now. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We can pursue this off mic, I think. Okay. A little bit further if we feel like it. I think so. All right. Sounds great. Well, then let's take this and pivot this over into our final thoughts on the episode, The Risk All Point. All right. Ryan, what were your thoughts on The Risk All Point episode? Well, um, let's see. I think I would have to say, on a scale of 1 to 10, this episode sucks. (laughs) I'm just going to be totally honest with you here. I was bored to death watching this episode. It's not... A terrible episode, so I don't know if I was just in a weird mood or what's going on. Um, I've seen this episode before. I watched it twice in preparation for this podcast. Normally, I don't have to do that because I've seen all these episodes a number of times. So usually, I just need to do a refresher, take my notes. I was kind of checked out the first time I watched this. Before in in preparation, so I knew I was like uh, I I need to watch it again, and you know what? I'll tell you something. The second time I watched it, I was still bored. <laughs> you were still checked out. Yeah, yeah, no, but I did get some more notes because you know I was looking at my paper and I was like, wow, I have four things to talk about. I need to watch it again. <laughs> okay. So anyway, yeah, but there were it. I feel bad coming down on it so hard like this because I don't honestly when I looked when I when I look at it I don't think it was an awful episode. It it wasn't lava and rockets. <laughs> oh god. It wasn't the prince. You know, but it was just it was I wasn't interested in what was going on. It didn't really have anything to do with the the story arc that I'm interested in. Um, I mean, we only had three of our characters, you know, yeah. what, what was trance and well, I know what Harper was doing. He was trying to fix the toilet. He's fixing the toilets. Yeah. You know, what was going on with everybody else? What was going on on the Andromeda? Yeah. Um, that's what I like to see. Um, and I'll tell you something else. 
the end. <laughs> it's. I mean, here's what happened. I think I'm. I'm going to go ahead and imagine what was going on while they were shooting this. They set up for the last scene, right? And then the director looks at the clock and he says, "Oh crap, we're at 41 minutes, guys. We need to go ahead and wrap this up, put a bow on it. Hey, what is? What did in. we put in this episode earlier? Can we come back to some of that and just use that to wrap it up? <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do that. Um. So a few things here. Yeah, that that whole ending scene was just what? What's going on? Not only did I have to watch the episode twice in preparation for this, I had to watch that last scene about fourteen times. <laughs> okay. Okay, because I'm I'm going to go ahead and please stupid on this, but the whole deal with Senator Blake, Senator Bayless. I initially thought that she was from the Kinja. The way that they kind of did they did it all so fast right right okay i thought that she was like a kinja spy she was the one that was there to sabotage the ship and but she had infiltrated the commonwealth and got all the way up to senator that's what i thought the first time i watched this and then aaron comes back in and explains how okay yeah no it was a comet there was no sabotage and i'm like wait a minute but i thought and so I had to watch it again, and I still didn't understand it. So I had to watch it again, and finally I figured out, oh, okay, so actually what happened was this person who was an imposter for Senator Bayless was a total waste of everyone's time, and I got really upset about that because I thought that the story that I had made up in my head was way better. <laughs> Than what right. we actually got. Yeah. So I kind of wish that I hadn't gone back to see it again and try to figure out what exactly happened here. Because then it, I was it, disappointed. It just reinforced your disappointment. Yeah, right. That's right. What it sounds like. Okay. Um. Because I actually I I couldn't understand what part of it is. I couldn't understand what Tyr was saying to Dylan um, when he handed him the 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 flimsy. The floppy, what is it? With the lop-eared, the one, one corner cut off? Yeah. So Put a, put a pin in that. We're going to come back, come back to that in okay. some future episodes. Okay. So I, I actually had to go back online, and I looked up the script for this episode. <laughs> yeah. And this is what Tyr says. As he hands Dylan the flimsy, he says... On the Crimson Sunrise, she wore a mask and cleaned the auto chef. You must admire the genius of becoming a senator to survive. So basically what it comes down to, she was a maintenance worker that, after all this stuff happened, assumed the identity of a Commonwealth senator. How? Why? What led her to that decision? How was that essential to her survival? Because it seemed to me that everybody else that got on a pod... Got on a pod. Yeah. Yeah. It, they were there to be gotten onto. Right. <laughs> so why the need to fake this? Yeah. Um, and, and it just set up this whole thing because, like I said from the beginning, we know we were supposed to hate her. Mm -hmm. She was supposed to be that Commonwealth head... That we're supposed to associate with the Commonwealth yeah. and say, okay, so now I know that I'm supposed to hate the Commonwealth because this person is part of that. Right. Right? And all the other things that we're learning about the Commonwealth, 
this person that she was a janitor <laughs> that was for some reason faking being a senator. Yeah. And I still don't understand why. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. All right. So there's one thing. <laughs> How many more do you have? The comet. Right. <laughs> so this is just some freak random comet that hits a ship. I mean, do they not have like an astrometric lab or something? <laughs> do they not see these things coming? I mean, radar? Yeah. <laughs> Sonar? <laughs> I don't know. Do, right. do they have up like a Commonwealth version of the Hubble or something? Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, how do you not see a comet? Where coming? was the ship's avatar? And why was it not monitoring itself? I don't know. The ship. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's inexplicable. Right. So, I mean, forget about the fact that there's this huge design flaw similar to the one that we saw in the Death Star, right? Where one in a million shot, Doc. So, it's... <laughs> or a billion, I guess it was. Yeah, it, it was, was a, a one, in a one in a billion shot. It doesn't matter. The comet never should have come anywhere near them because they should have seen it coming. Were their shields not up? Clearly not. I didn't see the blades yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then, uh, finally, no sabotage. Right. The entire premise of this entire episode is that there was sabotage. We've got to get to, to the bottom of this and figure out what happened. Okay. So, from the last point, that it, it was a comet. No sabotage. What was this episode about? What were the Nietzscheans coming for? <laughs> if if they know... They, they're attacking because they know they can win. Right. How do they know that they can win? Did they know the comet was coming? <laughs> they sent the comet. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grasping at straws here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, and then, of course, my last point here. The brawl scene. What problem did you have with the brawl scene? <laughs> I mean, we haven't talked about Star Trek yet, have we? No, we haven't. All right. So, hey, remember Trouble with Tribbles? Yeah, that was a long fight scene. Yeah. Oh, this was a long fight scene. Yeah, it sure was. Yeah. And totally pointless. Like it just, yeah. It was just, it, it didn't do anything to further the plot other than... You know, it got Action. Genghis worked up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But he seemed like he was worked up from the beginning. Right. I don't think they and really... And so was Burke. Yeah. They didn't really need a seven-minute-long choreographed fight scene. It was action for action's sake. It was. Yeah. And the action wasn't that great. No. So... <laughs> there was not enough room for five people to have a choreographed fight. Oh, no. You're right. I mean, it, 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 w it should have just been like an overhead shot of a mosh pit. It's really, <laughs> I mean, the moves that yeah. a lot of these that they were making, you know, yeah, grabbing onto beams, flipping up and grabbing people with their legs around the neck. No, no, there's no room for that. It's just swinging elbows. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. At this point. So anyway. You got it out of your system? I, I think I think if I'm reading you correctly, you might not have liked this episode that much. <laughs> you know what? I can't hide anything from you, Ethan. You know me too well. 
Okay. Can read you like a book. Yeah. A very thin one-paged book. <laughs> with, with big pictures. <laughs> big pictures. Yep. Okay. So that's how you felt about this episode. Um, allow me to take a moment to just basically repeat everything that you've just said. Sounds good. Copy, cut, paste. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, I would like to say I did like the opening shot of the Eureka Maru. That felt like a new shot. It was uh, good. Honestly, it was detailed. Honestly, I'm with you there. Yeah. Because I didn't recognize it as the Maru. I was like, oh, what is this imposing ship yeah. that we're going to get to see in this episode? Yeah. Probably a formidable foe for the Andromeda. Oh, no. It's a rust bucket of bolts. <laughs> but I did like that opening shot. Yeah. I thought that was that was good bang for the buck as far as production value. Uh, the Again, I'm right there with you on the fight choreography. It was not necessary or awesome. Or worthwhile. You know what? Can I add on to that? I'll <laughs> okay. say they probably could have, instead of having a seven-minute-long fight, I don't, I'm exaggerating, but but not by much. Instead of having a seven-minute fight, they could have had a two-minute fight, and then they could have used that other five minutes to wrap up what happened at the end and give us a real explanation. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Maybe the one that I came up with in my in my head. It sounds more plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, they blew the budget on guest stars and extras. And I hope all of those people enjoyed whatever they spent their money on because <laughs> they robbed uh, fireworks and Tribune Entertainment. <laughs> and it's not their fault either. Uh-huh. I mean, this was just this was just a very poorly put together episode. One, plot holes, plot holes, plot holes. Big time. Uh, to uh, not not great direction. And I hate to say that because this is the, the last episode that we get out of Robison, but I, I essentially feel like this guy may have mailed this one in. And that's why I bring it out, that this was his last episode. And he's moved on. He's done. And... <clears throat> Well, he's probably just reading the room. I mean, he <laughs> sort of was mailing it in. So he's like, you know what? <laughs> so am I. Why should I try? Yeah. Uh, that The whole no sabotage, impersonating a senator, that whole thing, that character was a complete waste of time mm-hmm. and didn't, honestly, they wasted money just having her in there. So, um, great CG shot. I liked Erin as a character. She's different than any of the other Nietzschean women that we've seen. I'd like to see her character going forward, but I've looked at the IMDb list, and she's not. Uh She's not coming back. So that feels like a waste, too, even though it's a good character. Besides those two things that I liked, everything else was just meh. Mm -hmm. And so this episode, for me, overall, is... Meh. Other than the fact that it reinforces the fact that I don't like the new system's Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I had a hard time. I only watched this episode twice. And the second time, I was right there with you. I was like, uh, I was doing other things by the time I got to the end of the episode. It just had my headphones on listening to it. So, yeah, um, not a great episode. Honestly, if, um, if you haven't watched this episode... You don't have to. No. <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. This was a this was kind of a miss. Yeah. Not kind of. This was a lot of a miss. Right. As far as uh, season three has gone so far. 
Anyway, that's where I come down on it and where you've come down on it. If the listeners would like to weigh in on what they thought of the risk call point, uh, you can send an email about it to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. We're also on the social media. You can follow us and interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. We are using the handle at AndromedaPod. Uh, we're also on Podbean on the web. You can download and uh, read our bios and read our our show notes, all of our stuff right there on andromedaseries.podbean.com. Uh, while you're there, if you should feel so inclined, we do have a tip jar that you could you could leave a few cents in there if you want to. Of course, after this episode, I can understand why they It's not our fault. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It's there. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, we'd certainly appreciate it if you take a moment, give us a review, maybe even some stars. That helps us out and uh, allows others to be able to find the show a little more easily. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice again for the uh, opening quote of this episode. Uh, we are an Age of Geek podcast. You can check them out at ageofgeek.podbean.com. Lots, lots of cool geek discussion. Uh, I know they've been hitting it pretty hard. Those, they're really cool guys over there. So you should check them out. It's us. We hope that you will join us back here again next time as we take a look at the episode, The Right Horse. 